time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 56 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton, but most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And kiss of two. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This deliciousness is holiday blend. It's holiday blend. It smells really good. <laughs> it smells so good. So are we ready to drink some coffee and chat? Yes. And let's do it. Man, it's busy. It is. I'm just going to send this out there to everyone listening. Are you as busy as us? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think we came to the conclusion that, I mean, we did some decorating and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. But we pulled the plug at a certain point and said, this is enough. And now we are relaxing. And, you know, it's been quite a crazy year for everyone, I think. Yeah, it's been an extraordinarily odd year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's to say the least. Better than 2020. But in 2020, I feel like the silver lining was we got to really just enjoy Christmas for what it was. Right. We were all home. Yeah. This year, it's been like back out on the streets a little bit. So it's, yeah. it's been a little crazier. But I will say that most of our gifts did arrive on time. What about yours? Yeah. Most right. of them. There's stuff I'm still waiting on and it's going to be, hey, here's your picture of your gift. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. At least you know it's coming. You know what tomorrow is, everybody? Holly Ann's birthday. That's right, it is. She is only 22 days younger than me. And, of course, now I'm going to sing, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Holly Ann. Yeah. Thank you. That was lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. Now we're officially the same age again. That's right, we are. And Christmas is in just a few days. I try to relax, but I can't. Mm -hmm. My favorite day of the whole year. Is the day after Christmas. Good day after Christmas. Like, I don't get out of my pajamas. I sit on the sofa. That's beautiful. And vegetate. I like that. And only get up for animal chores, kid chores. Really, kid chores. At this point, I'm like, you do the own chores. Right. I'm not getting up. I really like the sound of that. December 26th. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> coming soon to a house near you. Pajama day. It's the international PJ day. I like that a lot. Yeah. December 26th. Eat the leftovers, watch yeah. movies. We'll stagger around and take care of all the woolly creatures and the chickens and then stagger back in. Wrapping paper everywhere still. <laughs> like, I'm not even putting it in the recycle bin until okay. 27. Sounds good. 26 is the mom and the woman's day off. We've got a plan here. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You can come over in your pajamas. Half the time I'm almost in my pajamas <laughs> when I get here. <laughs> but that's okay. We're not there yet. Right now, we're still in the in the thick of celebrating. We are prep. celebrating. And so we are going to talk about some super fun stuff today. We it's are. our Christmas episode. So if you're listening to the show and loving it, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for our show, and we love, love, love reading those reviews. It really is so much fun, and it really does help the podcast grow. You can also check out our Etsy shop. We have our t-shirts on offer. You can visit Patreon, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership and thank you to our newest patrons. Yay. You can also subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and you can share us on your social media so other people are in on the fun. And the final thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay. 
We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. You can get all the same great treats and feed with a fresh new look. Check out their new website. From now until the end of December, you can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners, Coffee20, for 20% off your first purchase. Follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and the chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with these chicken teas. They are so soft and so cute. In the December box, I absolutely love the delicious smelling nesting box herbs and the adorable egg stamp. My favorite was the chicken coop charm bracelet. It was so adorable. And that chick soap. Oh, it's so cute. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. It's time for Come They Told Me It's Breed Spotlight. It's time to talk about Nankins on the Breed Spotlight. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Holy moly. If you I haven't not- heard. We're talking about the Nankin the today. Nankin, because it's almost my birthday. We get to talk about one of my favorite chickens. Yes. The Nankin, Georgia and Martha. And since this is our Christmas episode, and the theme for our Christmas episode is Colonial Christmas. Colonial Christmas, right. And the Nankins were here in Colonial America. They do maintain a flock of Nankins there in Colonial Williamsburg. But we're going to talk a lot more about chickens in Colonial America and how that fit into Christmas when we get to our main topic. Right now, we're just going to give you some background on the ridiculous, adorable Nankin chicken. The Nankin is an extraordinarily old breed of chicken. Yes. They are true bantams, which means they have no large counterpart. And let's just make sure everyone understands that because you have chickens that have a bantam variety. Right. Which basically means that they were bred to be that small from the original large chicken. Right, right. Exactly. And then true bantam is that breed started out as a bantam. Right. They only come in that size. So Nankins are only found as bantams. They are currently listed as critically endangered by the Livestock Conservancy. Oh, I hate that. I know. They are lovely, friendly birds. They're chattering away all the time. They happily forage, scratch around. I'm in love with mine. Let's tell everybody exactly how many Nankins you have. I have five cockerels and four hens right now. Okay. Georgia Martha. And then we had seven. Seven out of ten eggs hatched. Yeah. We, um, we had so you have the nine. incubator, right? So mm-hmm. I can count. Yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> Counting so is hard. Holly has nine Nankins. Right. They're the most fun to watch. They like to scratch for bugs, but they also handle confinement relatively well. They're so small, and they are not the smallest bantam, but probably around the second smallest. Probably. The smallest goes to the Sarama. The Sarama. Mm-hmm. This is a chicken, if you have a small area, Yes, you want a chicken with a big personality that likes to forage around, and you can't give a huge area to. The Nankins I mean, are right. They're absolutely charming birds. They're lovely. They're very attractive birds. They're very friendly. They're happy little talkers. I love everything about them, and I don't understand why there aren't more of them around. 
when we say the Livestock Conservancy and, they, and we say endangered list, mm-hmm. the problem is availability. Absolutely. If I'm- you have a breeder near you that you can travel to, mm-hmm. we drove, what, an hour and a half? To New Jersey, to right. To New Jersey to pick up George and Martha. I don't think an hour and a half is too far. I would drive farther than that. Yeah. I think that's the problem. If you don't have somebody near you that's breeding them, you have a hard time finding them. It really is. And that's one of the things that you have to deal with when you're talking about a critically endangered bird. So some background on these chickens that I'm so in love with. Nankins were originally known as yellow bantams. Okay. And they were found in England hundreds and hundreds of years ago. According to the Livestock Conservancy, there is evidence that the Nankins were there before the 1500s, and they may have been there even earlier. I can see that for Mm -hmm. sure. So sometime during the 18th or 19th century, people started calling them Nankins instead of yellow bantams. Nankin is a corruption of Nanking. Okay. It was believed that the Nankin originated specifically in China. Sounds like a Chinese word. Well, Nanking, yeah. Yeah. Nankin, Nanking, absolutely. There's also a link between the bantam and a cotton cloth that is produced in China. Nanking, which is probably another corruption of Nanking. Mm Mm-hmm. Nanking cotton is a short-stapled yellow-brown cotton that's grown in China. And just a side note, it grows really well in Maryland as well. My other bestie, Michelle, has grown it very successfully. Nice. So the Nanking cotton was used to make traditional Nanking trousers that men wore in the 18th and early 19th centuries. And it later became what we know as khaki cloth. Okay. So people started calling the bantams both Nankings and Nankins. And then eventually Nankin is what is stuck. So we call them Nankins today. Right. The English poultry writer Edmund Dixon. Wait, this guy again? Yeah, our old friend. He had a lot to say. A lot to say. (laughs) So I was surprised. So I looked up the Nankin in one of his books and he had some praise for them. He called them the most useful of their type, the bantam, and pointed out that the Nankins are beautiful birds. He reported that the Nankin hens are great mothers of chicks, partridges, pheasants, and guineas, though they do have a mind of their own, he would often find them building their nests in weird places. Well, it's a good thing they weren't a frizzle, because then he would have not liked them. Yeah, he's kind of anti-frizzle. He's an anti-frizzle guy. But he loves the Nankin. There's apparently some evidence also that the Nankins are one of the foundation breeds used by Sir John Seabright to develop the very pretty Seabright Bantam. Which is very popular also. Yeah. The Bantams do I want some? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to have special provisions, but who does not want to cuddle these little cute, adorable? Oh, they're adorable. so cute. I can't help myself. I scoop up the boys all the time. <laughs> the girls, too. The girls are a little more independent-minded, I yeah. find. But going back to our conversation with Jenny yeah. about ambassador chickens, the roosters can be more lovey. Yeah. So if there's no girls around. Right. So I regularly scoop the boys up for hugs and kisses. Yeah. And they're in the bachelor flock. So they're like, mom's here. They're mama's boys. Uh, they are mama's boys. I love all of them. So the Nankin, they come in both straight and rose comb varieties. And both the straight and rose comb varieties are accepted by the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection. Nice. I don't know what it is with me. I'm more drawn to a straight comb. I like both of them. I really do like the rose comb a lot. The straight comb nankins were more readily available in this area. Mm-hmm. I would not be opposed to the rose comb, but now that I've got the straight comb, I don't want to mix the two of them. Yeah. I feel like they'd have to have separate breeding pens. Yeah. And that's getting into a whole new different thing. It really is. I don't know. I just, for chickens, I, that's just what you I... You like a straight comb. I don't want to, I guess it's more conventional, like... Probably. I'm not going to turn down a rose comb. Oh, of course not. No. Here's something funny. 
the undeniably ancient breed of chicken that is the Nankin was not accepted into the standard of perfection until 2012. Wow. Yeah. Look back at that a little bit. We know that Nankins were quite important in early America. And the hens are often referred to as natural incubators. They're broody. Yeah, they absolutely. Love they right. love sitting right. on eggs. So their value as an incubator is well established. The bantams do tend to be less practical than a standard dual-purpose bird. And so they tended to be kept by the wealthy. Mm-hmm. The wealthy could afford to have these chickens that just gave them pleasure that they could breed for fun. Right. So that fact, and for reasons that we've mentioned so many times, by the end of World War II, the Nankin numbers had dwindled to the point that many people believe they were extinct, both in the U.S. and the U.K. Wow. Yeah. In 1963, U.S. breeders imported Nankin eggs from the U.K. and officially began the second wave of American Nankin breeders. Industrial times took a lot out of having pet chickens. It's so good that we are on the rebound from this. And actually, we're on a major rebound. Chickens themselves are getting right up there with dogs and cats. It's really fantastic, the number of people who are keeping chickens and who are recognizing the real needs of the chicken. Yeah. I love that there are chicken house pets. I love that. To me, I'm seeing it. The chicken's kind of overtaking other avians in the household. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Okay, everybody knows I have an African gray parrot. Right. I love Grayson. But I see chickens overtaking parrots almost. I mean, and there are so many of them that need homes. There are rescues and shelters everywhere that have plenty of roosters that need love. So Yeah, the chickens tend to be easier to handle and have friendlier personalities than some parrots. Right. And can you you imagine how adorable it would be to have like an indoor coop and three, say, Nankin roosters or Bantam rooster boys as your pets? So cute. I mean, they lay on you, they sleep on you. Yeah. So back to the practical stuff with the Nankin. Nankins were originally called yellow bantams for good reason. The hens are a beautiful buff to light chestnut color. They have some black in their tails. The roosters are a deep chestnut, and they have that beautiful beetle green sheen on their black tails. And a lot of their tail feathers are outlined in chestnut. It's very pretty. they're very pretty. And both sexes have those beautiful blue legs. Very cool. The blue stands out really well in contrast to all the chestnut feathering, and it makes for a brightly colored chicken. Yeah. They have small white earlobes, moderate-sized combs and waddles on the roosters, and tiny dainty ones on the hens. If you want to take a look at what these chickens look like, just look on our Instagram page. Yeah, there are plenty of Georgia Martha and yeah. the, the so pullets can, and the cockerels. You can just look us up on Instagram, mm-hmm. and we have Holly Ann's Nankins on there. Actually, I think you made a reel of the day we went and picked up George and Martha. I did, yeah. So that's on there. That's on there. Tiny George and Martha. I think it was in the summer. Yes. So the Nankins have an upright tail and a bright, curious expression on their faces. They're very chatty. They're always talking, always coming to see the people, and they always have tons to say. In my experience, you may find an overprotective cockerel who doesn't like you getting too close to his girls. But for the most part, they're very gentle and friendly little birds. Yeah, I love little bantams. And yeah. Nankins are so cute. I, mean, I love everything about them. They're like micro chickens. Yeah. I just adore them. The American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection notes that Nankin pullets are about 20 ounces in weight. Right. That's 1.4 pounds. The full grown hens are 22 ounces. That's oh, no. 1.6 pounds. 1. 6. The Nankin cockerels are also about 22 ounces. And the full grown roosters are about 24 ounces. They're little. So that's about a pound and a half. So they are tiny birds. But think about this. They're not the smallest. No. The Saramas are smaller. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy that there's a smaller one out there than the Nankin. 
So the Nankin hens are fairly good layers in my experience. They average about three to four eggs a week when they're on the young side. You're eating Martha's eggs for breakfast. Martha lays an egg every other day like clockwork. Yeah. It's wonderful. The eggs are white or creamy tint to them. The interesting thing that you were telling me the other day is that the yolks are bigger. They are. In their eggs to the ratio of the white. Yes. So what's really good is you are getting more richness in this egg. Yes. More nutrients in the yolk. They actually are surprisingly good to eat. I was surprised. I read that the yolk is big, like the the white to egg yolk ratio is good. But the first time I ate them, I was really surprised. You're not getting as much white, but it's still a really nice egg. Can you imagine how cute these deviled eggs are? They would be super cute or d'oeuvres or like even if you were slicing them up for a salad or something. I really think you can do some really fun visual stuff with the bantam eggs. The hens are known to be excellent mothers and they are definitely prone to broodiness. Essentially, a nankin hen will hatch any egg that fits under them. They want to go broody. They want to sit on these eggs. Mm -hmm. So here's the big question that we're going to put out there. If you want to help, where can you get these nankin chickens? They're not easy to find. No. You had to do a lot of research to find a breeder in New Jersey. Now, anybody in the Mid-Atlantic, we have a breeder that's out here that we know of. Yes. And she is the president of the new Nankin Club of America, which we'll get into in a little bit here. Yeah. So... You can contact us if you're in this area. Occasionally, you'll find them at commercial hatcheries, but when I did a quick search, I did not find many. Another good resource, the Livestock Conservancy's website. You can go on there. You can search for different breeds. Right. Plug your zip code in. Yeah. See if you can find anyone local to you that's either selling hatching eggs or breeding stock. And Facebook is always a great resource. There are at least two or three active Nankin groups on Facebook. Now, I checked high and low, but found absolutely zero online presence for the Nankin Club of America that was formed in 2006. Right. If you look at a lot of references, both written and online, you'll see mention of the Nankin Club of America that was formed in 2006 and how they're doing all this great conservation work. Well, over the last 15 years, I guess that has sort of petered out. And I've seen that with some other breeds, too, that were really active, say, 15 or 20 years ago. Those folks that were breeding maybe have aged and they're not breeding anymore. Right. So really, a lot of these breeds could use new people who are interested in doing some of this conservation work. Just last month, a group of Nankin breeders and enthusiasts formed another Nankin Club of America and just selected officers. Again, Lisa Post is the new president. Right. They can be found on Facebook. You're part of these Nankin groups, right? Yeah, I do belong to these Nankin groups. Yeah, so, I mean, people are joining them. It's a little bird that needs some help, so it's, check it all know, out. It's a phenomenal little bird that needs some help. Yeah. They're just, I don't have anything bad to say about them. Yeah, I mean, everybody. They're not really full purpose. Any bantam really isn't. No, I mean, they're good show birds, and the Nankins are good layers, and they're excellent at incubating, and... It's a great bird. After doing some quick research... At the UK, it looks like private breeders are also the best source there. I found some breeders in the UK with a quick Google search. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the UK and you're interested in Nankins. The other thing is, Holly Ann, are you going to be making some hatching eggs available? If all goes well, I will be offering limited numbers of hatching eggs in 2022. And I haven't made up my mind about shipping them. I've heard they don't ship well. So it could be if you want hatching eggs, you might have to drive and pick them up. So if you're in the Mid-Atlantic area, Mm -hmm. you can meet up with us to get some hatching eggs. Well, I think George is an amazing representation of the Nankin breed. Yeah. And my girls, my girls are Martha Washington, obviously Mm -hmm. George's wife. Yeah. Then we have Abigail Adams. We have Nellie Park Custis and my personal little darling Dove. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> so those are my girls that are going to be providing our hatching eggs in the spring. Yeah. So you could be one of those resources. Yes. Limited conservation. Check work. it out. Check it out. If you want to know more about the Nankins at Colonial Williamsburg, we have about a 20-minute clip of some of our behind-the-scenes tour with Rare Breeds Livestock Manager Elaine Shirley at Colonial Williamsburg. There's some really good information that Elaine shares about how the Nankin was used in Colonial America. And there's also some really good chat that we have with her about conservation of the Nankin now as a rare breed. It's really good stuff. You can go to our Instagram feed and we have the video linked there. You can also go to our podcast show notes. I have linked the video clip there as well. And an enormous thank you to Elaine for giving us that behind the scenes tour. It was super fun. And if you haven't visited Colonial Williamsburg to see the chickens, we strongly encourage you to do so. It's worth a visit. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. It's time for our main topic. <laughs> We're feeling like singing today. It's our Christmas episode. It's our Christmas episode. But we never sing on the show. And this month, if you wanted to listen about figgy pudding, go over to Patreon. Yeah, we do some singing on there too, don't we? <laughs> yes. It's December. Yes, we sing. It is. In this week's episode, our main topic is going to be Colonial Christmas. Yes. And in Williamsburg. Well, Colonial Williamsburg, a place that combines Colonial America, which we've been spending a lot of time researching this year. Yes. Christmas. Which we love. And chickens. It's like the trifecta of amazingness. Yes. So we've been talking about our Christmas trip and it's done. We did it. It was so much fun. So much fun. We took the girls with us. Yes. And they had a blast. And it was a history trip. And Holly loves history. And Holly has an advanced degree in history. So yes. (laughs) Yes. So we got to go spend two and a half days in Colonial Williamsburg. Well, and we started with Thomas Jefferson's Monticello, which was great. And I had such a good time because your girls are honestly interested. They love it. They would ask me a question and listen while I answered them. Everywhere we go, not even on trips, they ask you questions about history. Yeah. So that's fine. I paid for all that, so (laughs) I can use it. It was so much fun. Well, Colonial Williamsburg, so just a little bit of history. Colonial Williamsburg was originally built through the 1690s. Mm-hmm. The settlers in Jamestown, which was the first permanent English settlement in the New World. But Jamestown, in the mouth of the James River, was quite unprotected. And at that point, the colonists were worried about all kinds of different people coming up the James River. Yeah, so they, I mean, it was a new land and there right. was a lot to worry about. So they elected to move further back in what did become Williamsburg. And again, they were building much of Williamsburg through the 1690s. In the early 20th century, the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation began restoration work on the right. city. And what we have today, Colonial Williamsburg is the largest living history museum in the United States. So let's just explain exactly what that means. You go there And you step back in time. Yes. So the town itself is basically a bustling Williamsburg from colonial time. So 
everyone, the jobs of the people that work there are to dress up in colonial dress. And every day they live as a colonial person. Right. So you get to see the artisans and craftspeople doing what they do. They have Native Americans. They have enslaved people. They have the appropriate livestock for the period which does mean the chickens. Yeah. And the breeds that you can currently find at Colonial Williamsburg are the gorgeous Nankin, one of my favorites. The Nankin. The Dominique, yes. the Dorking, and the Hamburg. All of your faves. There are a lot of my faves. They are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a great time exploring, and there were just so many things to do and see. And it was super fun since it was Christmas because there are lots of Christmas recipes in that period that would be using eggs from those chickens. Yes. If there was a time of year where you were going to see dual purpose use of a chicken. It would be then. It would be then, right. It would have been a very much a special occasion. Let's backtrack a little bit. In colonial America, in New England, they really did not celebrate Christmas. And in colonial America, Christmas was more of an adult holiday. I suppose it was. Yeah. So in New England, where the Puritans were, they did not celebrate these feast days. Right. When you started in, say, Maryland and came down through Virginia and to the South, where people were other religions, they were Catholic, they were Anglican, they did celebrate Christmas and they celebrated it in a big way. Yeah. If you look at some of the records from Mount Vernon, you see that they would have these huge feasts. They would all go fox hunting. They would be dancing. And when you think about it, this is the thing that keeps striking me thinking about the girls is it was geared towards adults. Generally, it was, right? It was about church. It was about feasting. It was about hunting. General merrymaking. Yes. I mean, they really did it up big. large and small. People would come to Mount Vernon and stay for weeks. And yeah. George and Martha actually were married on Twelfth Night. Right. And so they celebrated literally the full 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. With feasting and all kinds of and good things. And their camel. And their camel Aladdin. <laughs> right, right. And that means things like eggnog. There's an eggnog recipe that makes the rounds that people say is George Washington's recipe, and there's no proof that it really is, right. but it's a fun legend, Yeah, and it's great eggnog. Christmas pudding or plum pudding, Figgy also pudding. Is, right, served by the Washingtons. And what do both of those things use? Fruit. And <laughs> eggs. Yeah. Eggs. They use eggs. So Thomas Jefferson, remember that whole thing that Christmas was an adult holiday? Right. Well, Thomas Jefferson kind of went the opposite way. He thought that was more of a children's holiday. And so he would make sure he had gifts for the kids. Right. So we thought that was really interesting to go to Monticello and hear that and then go to Colonial Williamsburg, where it was more along the lines of the celebration that the Washingtons And held. those two places are only about an hour, a little over an hour away from each other. You can go to Mount Vernon, over to Monticello, Williamsburg, if you wanted to make like a week of it. I think Monticello ends up being, what, like two hours from D.C.? Yeah. Monticello is amazing for a lot of reasons. Yeah. But I have to say my heart is really with Mount Vernon. Oh, yeah. And Williamsburg because they have all the livestock there. Yeah, exactly. So, so we went to see Williamsburg. Well, of course, we wanted to see the livestock. And right. we went to see the chickens, which was great. It was so much fun to see the other nankins. But we really got to enjoy ourselves with all of the Christmas decorations and the oh, yeah. festivities that they had at Williamsburg. 
Oh, yes. The Cressets. The Lighting of the Cressets, right? They were some of my favorites. I love seeing that. And the Yule Log. And the Cressets are not like a gentle candle flame. No, 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 I mean, no. It's like a flaming basket. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, it takes a lot to light an area. Yeah, I mean, does. you can't just put a little candle. That's kind of right. like nostalgia. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need something that's going to work to light it up. And the Cressets are really an impressive sight. That yeah. was super cool. And the Yule Log is so cool. Yeah, they bring the Yule Log in on a wagon, mm-hmm. a horse-drawn wagon. And then once it's burning, everyone is invited to throw some greenery into the fire and make a wish. Right. It's like letting go of the old year and, and welcoming in the new year with yeah, your wishes. so much fun. That was really cool. We're going to have all this stuff up, and it's ongoing. So right. check it out on Instagram yeah. for sure. Yeah, our videos, some of our many photos. Yeah, exactly. And just checking out everything and how the use of nature and natural materials through the colonial times. The I love this. The decorations are just yeah. gorgeous. Deck the halls with boughs of holly was true. Indeed, right? And apples and oranges and yeah. cloves and everything that you're going to do, you're going to decorate is from nature. Right. So at that point, they weren't really doing Christmas trees, not the no. way we do that. I think they that were was using a Victorian yeah. garland mm-hmm. and making wreaths. Put above like portraits and paintings. Exactly. You see the greenery above that. I love the way that looks. And the table settings, same thing. Greenery, the fruit was in there. I walk around the, my yard and I'm kind of blessed with good things to trim in the Oh, yeah. So to make swags and all these different things, I trim my evergreens. I have huge holly bushes. We do too. Sacred bamboo with the red berries that bloom now. Mm -hmm. I can make my own arrangements just from clipping from my yard. Rosemary, if you have winter herbs. Right. Beautiful. And this is what they did. Well, that gets into that history a little bit. So in New England with the Puritans, they thought that all of that stuff smacked of the idolatry of Catholics I mean, historically, that's what they thought. Right. And since you and I were baptized Catholic, we could buy right into that. Or it was paganism. Yeah. And so things like the Yule Log at Colonial Williamsburg, like it is unabashedly. It's fun to throw in a piece of evergreen. It's fun. And it really does celebrate those pagan roots. And it's fun to say, let's throw this evergreen in to wash away whatever happened. Right. It's a super fun tradition. And bring in the new. Talking about bringing in the greens, the reason I was going back to those sort of pagan roots is because bringing in those greens, what that symbolized for very early people is the return of the sun. So they would bring the evergreens in. Yeah. And so when you go to Williamsburg and you walk through and you see this just amazing use of all the evergreens on the doors, in the building. So there's a tradition that Joe and I have actually done before, which was burning a bayberry candle. Oh, cool. You burn it all the way down. And it's supposed to help bring you good fortune in the new year. Uh huh. And there's no harm in doing that stuff. It's fun. It's fun. I thought the whole Yule Log ceremony was a lot of fun. They played the fights and the drums. We had great weather, too. Yeah. So. And the girls. I love watching the girls. Yeah. It was Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, our trip with the girls coming along. Mm-hmm. So just to watch them is always a blast. There's so much stuff that we did. You just have to go on our Instagram and look at all the pictures. (laughs) Absolutely gorgeous, great weather, and we couldn't ask for more. So what was your favorite of the livestock there? Nankins. The Nankins. Yeah, that's the right answer. (laughs) I was really... I don't have to ask you on that one. Well, the Nankins, but also the Lester Sheep, the Lester Longwool, that Elaine Shirley, the manager in charge of the rare breeds... Colonial Williamsburg has that whole like carriage and livestock division. And so Elaine has been in charge of the rare breeds and she really did amazing things with those English Lester Longwools. 
She has a to die for gorgeous flock. They're the most beautiful sheep. A gigantic shout out to that department oh, for yeah. the good work they do, taking care of those animals. Here's one of my other favorite parts of our trip. What? The shopping. Yes. <laughs> In fact, yes. We got some really yeah. It was just fun. It was really yeah. fun. Was, well, you know, it's well-deserved for us. We have really, really worked hard all year, and I'm happy to be able to go do this. Mm-hmm. And big thanks to our men who stayed home with all of our animals. With all the animals, yeah. Yes, thank you. So that we could go. It was fun for me just to watch the other people look at the chickens. Yeah. I mean, especially the nankins. People have never heard of nankins. Napkins. Just FYI, that's not an inside joke. Every time you try to type nankin, autocorrect changed to napkin. (laughs) Just. It happened to Ella during our live. Yeah. But it is fun to see people react to them. There are chicken people that have never even heard of a nankin. Yeah. And so that part was really fun. They're just beautiful little chickens. And the costumed interpreters at Williamsburg will explain to people that a nankin really was found with the wealthy people. Yeah. You give props to those people who work there. Yes. They really have to take a mindset of leaving their normal life Mm -hmm. and going back in time so that you feel you've gone back in time. And they do a very, very good job there. There's horse-drawn carriage rides. There's so much stuff. And it was a blast. It was so much fun. We went through the beautifully decorated Governor's Mansion, which is a tour we recommend because they talk about preparing the food for the Christmas feast. Oh, yeah. And you can ask them about the eggs. You know, they would have gathered the eggs and what they would have done with them. Right. It's just fantastic. There's a weaver's cabin where you can listen to them talk about making cloth from the sheep's wool. Yeah. Just so much incredible stuff. Oh, yeah. Lots of fun. If you are in the Mid-Atlantic area or south, it's a good middle point, Virginia. Yeah. If you're near Virginia and Williamsburg, do it. It's fun. It's chilly enough that you feel like it's winter. Yeah. But it's not so frigid that it's not fun to be outside. Exactly. I mean, we lucked out with we good did. weather. And we also got to go eat dinner at one of the taverns, one yes. of the Stark taverns. That was super fun. Yeah. We had a blast. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've talked about how much fun we had and all All the the chickens and all the chickens and all the great stuff that we did, we want to talk about a recipe that's from that era and that takes us into cracking the Christmas eggs. Cracking those eggs. Our recipe this week is a fool. Really? You (laughs) call me a fool? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, girl. It's a fool. The fool is a neat recipe. And let's just make this clear. It's not spelled F-O-O-L. It is now. But it wasn't before. No, you're right. There was an E on the end. It was F-O-O-L-E. It was fully. (laughs) It was not fully. (laughs) It was still full. It's a silent E. And let's let everybody in on what this is. It's a very old dessert. It is. It is essentially fruit cooked with sugar and mixed into whipped cream or custard. And how can you go wrong with that? You can't. And it was served in? Colonial Williamsburg. (laughs) Yeah, among other places it was, yeah. Some of the modern versions of Fool will have yogurt. The older versions tended to be custard bases, and that's what we're making. Yeah. So this custard calls for four eggs and heavy cream. We use thickened creamy oat creamer because I can't have the dairy. Versions in Colonial America may have had butter added as well. I mean, you want to make it as rich as you can. Well, butter and fresh eggs and Colonial Williamsburg, we're learning they like the richness. Yes, Gooseberry full tends to be the best-known version, especially in the UK. The gooseberries are crushed, they're cooked in with sugar, and they're mixed into whipped cream. Sounds delicious. We decided to make our version of full extra fancy, and we used whipped cream along with our cooked custard. We, we have are, both. We are big fans of cooked custard. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, we've made this known before. Yes. Egg custard. Oh, yeah. Like plain old egg custard. Egg okay. custard, right. We're fans. I mean, we grew up eating that as little kids. You would get egg custard in the custard dish. When you're in Maryland and you get snowballs in the summer, egg custard is number one flavor. Uh-huh. You never knew what it was as a kid, but you got it every time. Yeah. You're like, egg custard. It's good. As I got older, I started to get chocolate with marshmallow, but that's another story. <laughs> so our favorite cookbook of the year, Dining with the Washington, yes. has an orange fool recipe. And that has inspired our recipe this week, which is the Clementine Fool. It's the cousin of the orange. Yeah, I guess it is. The Clementine Fool looks absolutely beautiful in parfait glasses or dessert dishes on a Christmas table. Oh, yeah. You could also do this with blood orange. It would be gorgeous. You could also put this in little mini dessert wine glasses. Ooh, what a good idea. Yeah, because they're so pretty. Yeah, like little cordial glasses. Yeah. That would be gorgeous. Yep. So you want to peel, clean, and chop the segments of three or four clementines. Yes. Just roughly chop them. You can save and add the juice that we use in the custard. You're going to start by beating your fresh eggs until they're light in color. Mm -hmm. Add your clementine juice or orange juice, your sugar and your spices. We use cinnamon and nutmeg, maybe a pinch of cardamom. It smells amazing with cardamom. Those are the holiday spices. Right. You're going to scald your cream or the non-dairy creamer. Then you're going to add a bit of that scalded cream slowly to your egg mixture to temper the eggs. Once the cream has been blended into the egg mixture, your eggs are tempered. You're going to cook the whole mixture over low heat until it thickens Mm -hmm. and just set it aside to cool. Once your custard is cool, you're going to mix those chopped clementine pieces into the custard. And then you're going to refrigerate it for at least two hours, probably preferably overnight. I would too. You want it nice and cold. And and thick, right. Yes. And then at that point, I mean, this really is an easy dessert to make. And it's definitely appropriate for our colonial era Christmas. Mm Mm-hmm. Serve the fool in a pretty bowl or in parfait dishes. Or in those dessert wine glasses. Right, you could do that. Top it with some whipped cream. You can use one of the excellent non-dairy whipped creams that are available on the market. You can also garnish with a little bit of orange zest or candy citrus peel or even a couple sections of the clementines if you want oh, to. Yeah. If you want to go that way. Just make it look super pretty. I might have to try to make this again using blood orange because I think that would be really pretty too. Yeah, and wow your friends. It's very sophisticated looking when you have it dished yeah, up. Yeah, it's so easy Super to do. easy. Again, that's our colonial Christmas. Once again... If you do these recipes, send us pics, tag us. We love to see them. Yeah, we'll have ours up on Instagram this week if you want to take a look at it. For sure. Very pretty. Really easy. And can I just say again how much fun we had in Colonial Williamsburg? We had fun caroling. You know that's my deal. You caroled the whole time, (laughs) even before it was caroling time. We were like National Vacation movie, like driving there with the two girls. Essentially, we were the Griswolds. (laughs) The chicken lady, the Griswold chicken ladies on holiday. Here we come a caroling. No, it's wassailing. I thought it was caroling. No, here we come a wassailing. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, carol while you drink your wassail, okay? I don't want to be drinking the wassail while you carol. We had a blast. It was super fun. You'll see all of our pictures. We have videos. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to the Coach and Livestock Division at Colonial Williamsburg. Yes. Especially Elaine Shirley. Now it's time to move on to Retail Therapy. Retail Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're sticking with our Colonial Christmas. And when we went to Colonial Williamsburg, we found an awesome book. It was just published in September of this year. Yes. And it is called? A Colonial Williamsburg Christmas. And it's gorgeous. 
It's one that you're going to love. It's full of gorgeous pictures of Colonial Williamsburg. And there's a lot of snow pictures in here. So, yeah, that's great. Pictures of the livestock, too. There's some gorgeous pictures of those Lester Longwell sheep in the snow. Oh, yes. And a lot of the traditional decorating of the times. Mm -hmm. And this book is our retail therapy because even if you can't go there in person, right. this book kind of transports you back to Colonial Williamsburg. It really does. I mean, it can't go into the depth that you can get at Williamsburg. Like some of the amazing things they do at Williamsburg, talking about Native American life at that mm -hmm. time period or the life of the enslaved people, you don't find that in the book. It's hard to gather that stuff without being there. Right. But it's a Christmas book. And yeah. it's so filled with so much beautiful stuff. This is what I like to do at home for Christmas. I like to bring out books that are about Christmas. Uh-huh. Okay? I do so too. I don't always pack them away. What I do is put them on my bookshelf uh -huh. if I want to look at them. So, yes, we did get this book. And every November, it's going to come out in my Christmas book area right. so that I can start looking at it. Some books are just inspiring. Yes. And sometimes you need that. That's how Pinterest got started. Yeah. You need to look at something that inspires you. Right. And that's what this book does. Yeah, it really does. It inspires me to revisit some of my recipes to see if I can take one of those old recipes and make it something modern and amazing. Oh, yeah. Like the Clementine Fool. The other thing is it can really inspire you to choose a different way to decorate during the holidays. Yeah. If you're into greenery, mm -hmm. this book is kind of a must-have. There are other books out there also yeah. that we were looking at, mm -hmm. which you own, that are published back in the 70s and the 80s. Well, actually, the one that's in the 70s you gave me for my birthday. That's right, I did. But the one that you have from the 80s is the decorating of the colonial It is. Time. The style stands. If you look at the way they did that book, they use a lot of florist foam, which we don't use anymore. It's right. not biodegradable. We don't use it. But it gives you the basic structures and shapes that these right. things would have been, like the door swags. Right. Those gorgeous plaques of magnolia leaves and apples that would be over top of a door. Yeah, and everyone is really big into decorating coops and runs. This would be a natural oh, way to do it. I didn't even think of that. Very clever. So you can make it safe for the chickens. Right. Because you don't want to put anything that's not fresh or real out there. No, you do not. There are certain things that they can't have. You don't have to worry about berries so much with chickens. Like collie berries are a no-no for, say, sheep and goats. Right. But you don't have to worry about them so much with chickens. But yes. So this book, we definitely wanted to spotlight because it's an inspirational book. It really is. It's about our trip, too. Well, we've been doing colonial history all year. That's just where we've been. Yeah. That's where my research has been for the last year or two for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And so just digging in and learning about those early chicken breeds that were here in the U.S., how their presence impacted the colonists. It's been quite an adventure. We've learned so much about those heritage breeds, and we appreciate them even more for what they brought and what they can still bring to us. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know about you, but the Sussex, one of my favorite breeds, and it's such an old breed of chicken, and you know how I feel about the Nankins. The other thing that this book will tell you about is music of the season, which is yes. really nice. One of the prevailing themes of our whole trip was the music. Yeah. The fife and drums when they were doing the Yule Log ceremony yeah. or going through the governor's mansion and there was someone practicing on the harpsichord. It goes through different aspects of the colonial Christmas and right. explains to you where everything fit in. And it also inspires you by the beautiful photography in this book. So it's worth a buy. It is. We'll have it on our Amazon store. Yes. We've linked it in our Amazon shop. Just so shop. that you can find it. Uh-huh. 
but it is called Colonial Williamsburg Christmas, celebrating the classic traditions and the spirit of the holiday. It's one that we purchase, we love, so we thought we'd pass it on, that you might like it if this is something that you're interested in. And celebrating is a good word, because they do. They I mean, celebrate they, for 12 days. They, <laughs> I love this. And this is one reason, mid-January, I'm not taking my stuff down. Oh, heck no. I work too hard to get the stuff uh-huh. up. I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. That's when my holiday begins is when the actual <laughs> legit holiday's over. Uh, isn't that true? That's when you start to rest and relax and, yeah. you know, hopefully the live tree makes it <laughs> through January. <laughs> Maybe. And I'm okay with the Christmas decorations staying up for a while, especially if they've been a lot of work. I don't want to see them say after February 1st. After the end of January, I'm done. Right. And by that point, we're on to the next thing. We're planning new chickens. We're yeah. planning our garden. We're thinking about spring. We're <laughs> moving along after that point. But until then, the Christmas is what we're about. So check out this book, The Colonial Williamsburg Christmas. It is an awesome book. Trust us, you will love it. If you want to know more about some of the dishes that were prepared, our Patreon episode for December is about... Vicky Pudding! Also called Plum Pudding or Christmas Pudding. Yes! And you can check out last December's episodes where we did a lot of our recipes there, including bread pudding with whiskey sauce. Yes. And cookies that use eggs. Yeah. And your mother-in-law's classic breakfast strategy, yes. breakfast bake, which uses a lot of eggs and is delicious. Yes, it is. So essentially, there you have it. There's our year in Colonial America, our year with colonial chickens and other historic breeds. Yeah. We just want to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. But you will be hearing from us before the new year again because next week we'll have another episode for you. We're not stopping. Right. That's our New Year's episode. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Absolutely. We're going to be spotlighting the Appenzeller Spitzhaben. It's one of those really dazzling chickens for New Year's Eve. I love these chickens. They're fantastic. Our main topic, a little bit of psychology. What makes the chicken happy? We love this topic. Our crack in the eggs is delicious stuffed mushrooms. Hey, because you need some appetizers for New Year's Eve. Absolutely. And retail therapy is our annual list of chicken booze. You can't go wrong. That is booze for you, not for your chicken. But it has your chicken on the label. (laughs) So, yeah. What should we tell everybody to do until we talk to them next time? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them, too. Don't forget, Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. Thanks for listening.